Today's guest is Mira Manik, an author of two books, founder of the famous Chai by Mira, featured chef within Stylist, Red Magazine, and The Independent. Her journey in health, wellness, and food started when she moved back to London and rediscovered vegetarian and vegan recipes she grew up eating from her mother and grandmother's Gujarati kitchen. Having suffered from digestion issues, irritable bowel syndrome, and becoming obsessed with dieting, Mira looked for a healthier way of eating and developed a love for yoga, breathwork, and Ayurveda. She's brought her family's recipes to life and created lighter and wholesome Indian dishes in her first book, Saffron Soul. And her second book, Prajna, focuses on Ayurveda and rituals for happiness. Mira is also an integrated health practitioner, a discipline that combines nutritional science, naturopathy, Chinese medicine, Eastern philosophy, and Ayurveda to treat physical, mental, and emotional disorders, and is known globally for her delicious recipes and holistic wellness advice. Mira, thank you for all you do. It's truly amazing. These kind of uh, accolades and the kind of things that you've been up to in the last few years, it's, it's truly impressive. And how accessible and relevant you make Ayurveda and uh, healthy, vegetarian, vegan, uh, traditional cuisine, I think it's pretty awesome. I, I really respect that. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you. And thanks for the amazing introduction. Of course. I wanted to get stuck in. Um, you kind of fell into this path when you moved back to London. And I just want to hear about how that journey started for you and what kind of gave you the drive to make Ayurveda more relevant and accessible for people. So losing my own way in health and thinking I was incredibly healthy, thinking, you know, I need to get thinner and that equals healthy. Wow. I literally thought that. I mean, I was on a mission to, you know, get skinny basically for so many years and I moved back to London but just before I moved back I was in India and I was sitting on the street having a coffee a pretty I'm pretty sure I was in Bandra I was in Starbucks sitting and having a coffee and it dawned on me suddenly that I have focused on no I have come to India so many times with snacks in my bag yeah and why would I do that? Indian food is healthy. What, what, where did I lose the whole notion of Indian food being healthy? And why do people globally think of it as not a necessarily healthy cuisine? Mm. So that's when I thought, I grew up eating really healthy food. Why did I let go of it? And mm. that's when I sort of lost my way in health because I was reading all these papers, being bombarded with magazines and media telling me that you need to have low fat and hence your then I get getting addicted to sugar. I did Weight Watchers for a whole year or longer. I, I did the point system, you know, during my university years. And I did lose weight. But I remember feeling like unsure about, you know, my energy dips, for example, because I'd have mm. sugar and then I, I didn't understand it. Didn't understand what sugar was doing to my body. And I had acne and I was losing hair. So obviously I was not nutritionally filling myself. I wasn't having the kind of nutrition that you need at that age or any age. Mm. And so many years later, it dawned on me that I need to go back to eating the food that I grew up eating. And I want to tell the world about that. And so I started this with this notion that I wanted to write a book because I've always loved books. I'd already written, actually, back in the day, I'd written a guidebook on Dubai and I'd written a novel, which I never published. I love writing. So I thought, oh, oh, I want to write a cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, let me write a cookbook. And um, obviously, it's not going to happen overnight, but I thought it'd be quite easy. So I 
went about re- well learning all the recipes that I grew up eating, that I'd grown up eating from my mom, from my grandmother, from my aunts in the same house. I grew, I, I moved back to back home and I asked them, how are these things are made? And they're such simple things that they make every day. Mm. And yet I was like, well, how much of this? And they're like, well, we don't know how much. Like, you know, you just put in whatever right. <laughs> feels right. And they were getting irritated by me, but I did it. And then it took a while. It took time to get to that stage where I actually then published that book. So the long of the short is it came about because of my lack of understanding of what health meant. Mm. And in that process, in that journey of finding myself, and as you know, in my second book, I delve into the story of how and why I moved back to London, i.e. getting a divorce and going through a very long process of, of, of getting a divorce and going through a lot a very lonely period in life. Mm-hmm. I was living in Dubai, I was living in Uganda, I was, was travelling all over the world and actually I was completely alone. So I start my second book, Prajna, writing about that and I think Ayurveda or just rituals in themselves, it doesn't have to be Ayurveda, but just rituals and being healthy yeah. and understanding the link between you know, having a pause in life and having a pause in your day and understanding that actually we need to focus on what makes us happy, not just work and and, and kind of getting into the drill of life, pausing and doing that yoga class, pausing and, and, and pausing when you eat and understanding the link between food and mood. All of that kind of culminated in this book wow. um, and also bringing together my, my own journey in spirituality, in life mm. um, and happiness. What inspires happiness? Wow. That's really, I mean, that was a really conclusive and full answer of where it all started. And I kind of want to peel it away a little bit because I think you're a great example of someone that's um, experienced some hardship. You know, you spoke briefly just then about going through a divorce and you've written about it in your second book. And you also mentioned how you felt lonely in a space in Uganda, Dubai, and all your traveling efforts, which honestly, from the outside, it kind of looks kind of cool that you're traveling the world. Everyone kind of wants that, right? The wanderlust of traveling the world. And I was a travel journalist at the time. I had no idea. I loved it. That's amazing. (laughs) Um, But going from there to then experiencing, okay, something that most people would say is is, uh, not a positive experience, and then turning that into an opportunity to serve others. And that was the main reason that I think I invited you here, because I think I really love stories where people have gone through uh, moments of perhaps rock bottoms and learnt from them or realised from them that actually this life is meant for more than just simply trying to travel the world and fill the bank balance and you know there has to be a, a deeper purpose. So, um, I mean, you, your hope story, maybe you can share a little bit about that. Like what gave you hope in that moment of perhaps, yeah, not feeling that everything was going your way? It's really hard to think back to what... Um how I felt then, but it was a pretty dark place. And I think it lasted for a very long time. Um, But what I do remember very well is waking up each day and knowing that I need to do focus on the few, on, on doing a few things that make me happy. Wow. So it doesn't matter that my entire day, I might be crying and feeling upset and sad and lost if I can just do a few things that make me happy, like that, you know, in Dubai, it was a spinning class, perhaps, or going for a walk in the sun and sitting in the sun um, and reading a book or whatever it was. I don't remember what I was doing at the time. Mm. And writing, writing made me very happy at that time. So mm. it was hard, but it was a cathartic process, you know, and writing, it's always a way for me to 
get emotions onto the paper onto paper and it wasn't writing about me I was writing a novel at the time so actually right. it was an amazing process of a liberating process and and also I got lost in that writing wow. and it helped me to distract myself and thirdly also meeting I mean I had didn't have that many friends in Dubai but the odd time I would meet a friend that would help so it was just focusing on the little things and mainly I would say yoga lifted me wow. because at the time I was also the editor Oh, I just stopped being the editor of the first yoga magazine in the Middle East, Yoga Life. So as a result of becoming the editor of Yoga Life, I had a, I was in the yoga society and I knew everyone and I had my favorite teachers and I went to classes. I did some private classes. Mm. I did classes on the beach and I just delved into yoga at the time. So I think that's what lifted me. Finding the moments of hope. Find, yeah, finding moments each day that can lift you. Yeah. I think the mind is interesting, right? Like the analogy is given that if you have a piece of corn stuck in your teeth, then you've got, I don't know how many teeth, 30 plus teeth in your mouth, but your tongue will always go to have a feel of that piece of corn that's stuck in your teeth. And I think sometimes the mind can be like that, that we just focus so much on uh, that which is in one sense irrelevant or small and keep trying to push and nudge that thing, forgetting that there's all of these all of these opportunities and spaces within the mouth. If you get the analogy, it's kind of seeing uh, rather than focusing on uh, the dark sky, focus on the moon, focus on that which will bring you hope. Yeah, but that's definitely much easier said than done. And sure. I think I wasn't necessarily focusing on the happy moments. I was just m making sure that I did things every day that would lift me a bit mm. because now I understand. Then I didn't understand that what was working in a yoga class or in a spin class would be the endorphins that would make me feel happier. Mm. I didn't know about endorphins at the time. Now I do. Now, now I understand why exercise helped me. Mm. Or sitting in the sun, you get dopamine, you get like vitamins, you just feel happier. Mm. And there's a reason, there's a scientific reason for that. But it's hard to say that I'm focusing on that and ignoring what's going on in my life. All that was in my mind was what was going on in my life. But by having a few moments that distracted me and made me happy, I was able to collectively find, you know, three hours in the day where I could do things that made me happy. Mm. So, but, but that doesn't mean to say that I became happy in those days. It sure. just means that I focused on a few things that I could continue and that's why I write in my second book about rituals and whether you're going through a happy time or a sad time it's important to have a few rituals that you continue and you make a habit of so that when you're in your happy times it'll just lift you and make and, and, and provide you with sort of an element of groundedness mm. or happiness or whatever it is but actually those same rituals when you go through a dark time in life which we all will will help you lift will help lift you out of that maybe quicker. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm not a writer. Never have I written. I don't plan on writing anytime soon in the future. But would there be any advice? I mean, you seem to be very uh, natural with picking up a pen and paper and, and expressing yourself in that way. Would you have any advice for anyone that maybe because it seems quite a healing journey to write for you. And I think many people can even without having experienced that can also get that this is an, an experience or a practice that will bring me some sort of healing. Would you have any advice for anyone that's starting to write or has a dream to write one day? Absolutely. I think writing firstly is very inspired. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't always have to be. Um, but when you're doing some sort of travel writing or creative writing, 
you want to be in that moment. So try, and I try this as much as possible, is writing when I'm inspired. So if I'm feeling really sad or really happy or really inspired by what's in front of me or, or the experience I'm having, I will try and get my phone out right there and then and just jot down what I'm like, wow. what it is and what I'm feeling. I remember going to see the gorillas in... Um, Uganda once and I was at the time I was writing a column for the Gulf News I was a columnist at the time and I was like oh my god this is amazing but I knew if I didn't capture that moment I would forget like the water on those leaves or my feet you know on the leaves rustling making the leaves rustle or the feeling of slight cold or whatever it was I can't remember right now but I got my phone out there and then I started writing everything down because I knew that if I didn't capture that moment it's like a photograph a snapshot if you don't capture it there and then how are you going to recreate it you can you can get that feeling back but it's much harder so if as a writer you want to write creatively or in an inspired way try and if you can do it at the time or just after the special experience you've had Mm-hmm. And as for healing, I think there's a lot to be said and people talk a lot on Instagram and online about journaling. Mm. And I haven't journaled a lot. I do journal, but not uh, on a regular basis. But I think, and that's something I do write about in Prajnais as a, as a ritual. I think it's a really great ritual to have um, when you're going through, especially when you're going through a hard time. But you can do it anytime, you know, getting the emotions out. Sometimes the tangle of emotions in our mind, the tangle of thoughts in our mind, um, doesn't allow us to see beyond it. It doesn't allow us to um, see things objectively. Wow. And so writing it down diffuses some of that emotion mm-hmm. so that you can see it objectively. And you think, oh, actually, why am I why am I so worried about that, actually? You know, it's not as big a deal as it felt in my head when you write it down. Yeah. It's like talking to a friend. It, sure. it offloads it. And so writing it down is a process of healing or a process of untangling thoughts and emotions. I love that. I love that. How friends are people who we consider uh, good sources of moments of offloading and you can kind of see things with different perspective, but also how you've kind of likened that to writing and how that can also be a healing process by uh, expelling thoughts that you perhaps don't need to carry, they don't serve you anymore. I think that's quite cool. You spoke about rituals, and I want to get into that. Was there any spiritual or religious or, um, yeah, what was the kind of inspiration behind calling it a ritual, a daily ritual? Ritual is a lovely word. I think it, it feels very inspired. It feels like less habitual than a habit. Habit doesn't um, have a very habit feels like um, it doesn't have I can't think right now but there is a there is a there is a um, definition which I found which is really nice and I just can't remember it right now yeah like um, a chore almost yeah habit feels like something that could be a chore I think a ritual just feels more inspired mm-hmm. like it has more meaning it has a purpose it's habit with a purpose habit with a purpose I like that I think. Um, So I feel like ritual is a nice word. It could be a practice. Mm. You know, what's your daily practice? Mm. It's a bit like that. But ritual feels a bit more, a bit more purposeful. Any rituals that you think would really change the world if every single person implemented them? I think the basic ones, really. So waking up and, for example, one of the things I write about is so my book is divided 
in chapters of morning, afternoon, evening. And in the morning section, it's about waking up and smiling, for mm -hmm. example. Now, that seems really basic. Yeah. But we don't do that. And if we're going through a happy time or a sad time, we're not going to wake up and smile for no reason. Okay, we might if our child's next to us or, right. you know, we Even like, then. oh, wow, my husband <laughs> or my wife is, maybe. But, and if something makes you laugh, but essentially you don't wake up and think, I need to smile. But actually the act of smiling, if you read all the studies, there's a lot to be said about the physiological act of smiling, which makes you psychologically feel happier. Right. So... Just smiling, even when you're going through a really bad time, forcing yourself to do it, automatically makes you potentially feel slightly happier. Mm. And so if you start your day like that, um, there's a lot to be said about starting a day with a positive attitude. And that can, I don't think smiling can do any harm. And that's why they have laughing yoga. Like if you go to, I don't know if they have it here, but obviously in Bombay and India and places I've seen groups of people come together and they're just laughing away yeah, in the morning. I've seen that. And it's amazing. And firstly, it's great for the breath. It's great yeah. for the body, but you're actually causing yourself to laugh and it feels initially forced maybe but actually it's quite natural because everyone laughing around you, you're going to just end up laughing um and that can do only good because you're starting your day off on a positive note um so laughing smiling and that's very you know that's the initial basic stuff mm. now you what you do you know singing that's another ritual i write about listening to ragas first thing in the morning wow. and that's how i grew up you know listening to morning ragas that my dad would put on Beautiful. first thing in the morning so actually having that as a as a ritual like it just goes on first thing yeah um is quite a nice way to start the day because you're ha having mantras flowing in the background mm. or whatever I, you want. I mean, I maintain that if the whole world would wake up and chant and dance, we'd live in a happier place. I think, you know, these kind of, I think the challenge though is realistically, we live in a world which is pretty chaotic and to build uh, habits that are positive reinforces, rituals that are positive enforces, um, it sounds almost romantic and it sounds like yeah, in an ideal world, if my work wasn't this much and I, I didn't have this much in terms of family responsibility, then maybe I'd try them. Yes, but these are very small things that I'm right. talking about. So, yeah, I, I agree, you know, doing yoga three times a week, going to a, this class or that class, you need to carve time out for that. And I think that's very important. In fact, that's one of the main, I wouldn't call it a ritual, but I've called it a ritual in my book. It's a practice. It's something that you do every day, some type of movement, because you should do movement. Our bodies need to move. Yeah. Walking, connecting with nature, doing high energy movement, doing yoga, breathing, all those things are important. You can take little elements of them. If you can't do breath work every day, it doesn't matter. Do five minutes in the morning, just do a few deep breaths and that will help you just have a better, more peaceful day because your mind will be more at ease or just a smile. I mean, that right. doesn't take any effort or time. Um, if you're going to work, can you leave five minutes earlier and take an extra five minute walk so that you're just walking a little bit more? Yeah. You know, just trying to fit those little things into your day. But I would say don't take on 10 things in the in the first week or in any week. You should really just take one thing on and make that a habit before you launch onto the next thing. Because if you take too many things on and they just seem you're excited to start with and then you just end up being overwhelmed by it and not do it, you will not go back to it. Right. So start off really small. Um, and 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 I think there's different there's different um, areas of life that you need to focus on. It's not just obviously smiling is one, breathing, movement, eating well, 
having gaps between meals, understanding how digestion works, because that is the crux of everything. You know, digestion is where it all begins. Disease, most diseases start with issues in digestion. So you mm. want to focus on making sure that your gut is healthy. And stress is the main thing. And what affects stress? Sleep, what's going on in, your li in our lives, how much we have on in our minds constantly. Um, body stress, you know, too much exercise. It could be anything. Yeah. Food, food can cause inflammation, which causes stress. So any kind of stress can lead to a lot of issues and disease. Yeah. So trying to make sure that you're doing everything you can to, to prevent stress in your life, I think that's m the most important thing. Yeah. So you almost have to become conscious of that which pains you first. You have to become conscious that this is clearly a problem. So therefore, let me try and do something about it. Sometimes I think we become so numb to um, living in a automatic mode that we just forget to be conscious and aware that this is something that I need to do in order to be more alive, to be more joyful in life. And you know, whenever someone gives me the excuse like, Radhika, I'm way too stressful, stressed out or too busy to do chanting or all the stuff that you're promoting. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, no one has ever gone to a hospital when they're not feeling when they're feeling well. You know, you don't hear someone go to a restaurant, for example, when they're full. No one eats at home and then goes out to a restaurant to eat second a second time or no one goes to the hospital in full health. I'm, I'm coming. I'm fully healthy. I'm going to yeah, just give me whatever you're going to give me because I'm you know, that doesn't make any sense logically. So in the same way, if you're stressed out, if you're too busy, that's a sign you need to meditate more. That's a sign you really need to change something. And in the same way, I think um, people who say they don't have time for positive reinforcement rituals that will daily uh, bring you to a happier state of consciousness uh, because they're too busy. It's almost like uh, an oxymoron. You kind of expect it more. You need it more in your life. And um, I think it stems from the point of being more conscious, being yeah. more aware. And we live in this kind of age or you know, people are talking about a woke state of you know, affairs in the UK and people are becoming awakened to the, to the needs of the body and the mind. But um, I think there's space for more of it, you know. It would be so cool if the Prime Minister went out and said, yeah, I'm, I'm stressed out and this is what I'm doing to counteract it rather than just pretending that there's no such thing as stress, you know, completely ignoring the fact that people are experiencing anxiety, depression, frustration, you know, so many other things that are causing, you know, bodily pain, mental pain, pains in the heart, emotional pain. Um, so I think that there can't be enough conversation on how to deal with these small things like implementing five minutes smiling five minute gratitude journaling you know i think that gratitude makes, is a good yeah. one i was about to say that the first thing in the morning if you can or last thing at night you know going to sleep or waking up on a note where you are counting your blessings because actually there's a lot going wrong in everyone's lives right but can you count those three or four things in the day that have gone right mm. and that you're happy about and that you're actually grateful for so finding them and that will shift your mindset over time it may yeah. not shift your mindset in one day but if you practice that every day and again it can, it can be a long process you can write it down and write explain it but it can be a two minute thing two minutes yeah it's the same as prayer like people talk about prayer and say um i don't know how to pray i don't you know the words don't come to my mind in a poetic way i'm like that's fine just if you if you just say thanks god or i mean we'll get into the topic of god in a second but um, you know, thanks, almighty, supreme, divine, whatever it is that you call it, just a small thank you can shift your consciousness miles away from where it was. You know, just those small words. Thank you. I appreciate. I'm grateful for, 
one line, one word. Mm. And it's often like when I broke, I've, I've bro- broken a couple of once I broke my ankle and then the other time I broke something in my foot. And every time I've broken something yeah. in my body, I feel like it, well, it's always been my feet. Um, I suddenly feel like you realize the importance of that thing. So if it was my wrist or if it was my finger, you'd be like, oh my God, I can't do X, Y, and Z without it. But without your foot, there's a lot you can't do. And being on crutches makes you realize how grateful I am and I should be in my day-to-day life for even being able to walk. And I'm not I'm not saying that as a every night you have to thank God for the limbs that he's given you. Mm. But it's it's just about being conscious of how being healthy is, how important being healthy is. Mm. And it's only when your health or something's taken away from you that you Mm. realize its value. So remember to stay healthy because and remember that the mind will affect what's going on physically. And if the physical is a manifestation sometimes and very often of what's going on in the life, in life and in, in your mind. Mm, beautiful. Should we talk about God? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, who or what is God for you? I have my own sort of um, prayers that I say and mantras. And, and often I the mantras that you chant are very much the mantras that I chant. Um, and so that I recognize them and I love them and I, I love uh, Girtan for that reason. So it's very much, I guess, what you chant and Krishna, Shiva, Ram. You know, I've, I've, I grew up, um, I went to a school which taught the Ramayana, well, t- sorry, taught Sanskrit. Cool. And the only school in London that teaches Sanskrit. So I grew up reading uh, verses of the Ramayana and translating the Mahabharat. Um, I also went to the same school where we went to church and it was a very sort of inclusive school but it was based on the teachings of the Shankaracharya of India and so we studied scriptures and I loved that and that's very ingrained in my life and I grew up in a very cultural family um, you know where we do these puja pujas um, my grandmother still does them and while I don't always understand the relevance I do now more than I used to I think just growing up doing these things have cemented them in my life and 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 in my mind and I do love all things Indian um, and it's it's a crossover of religion spirituality and culture yeah I mean you spoke about mantras and I think something I'm seeing more and more of is those that aren't indigenous to mantra like those who are not of an Indian origin or of any Vedic origin are coming to chant mantra at, like at the kirtan sessions we have on Friday night and it's been revolutionary seeing that um why do you think that, you know, so many people are turning to, you know, in one sense, unorthodox ways of connecting with God? Like in, in the Christian religion, there's not really much in the way of chanting mantras. They have hymns. And I guess the concept is similar. But do you have a do you perhaps have an understanding of why so many people are turning towards, you know, less um, traditional Christian methods and trying Eastern philosophy? Because we're kind of in a situation where we're both we've both been brought up around that. Yeah. But, but most people, I would say 80% of the people who've been brought up around that yeah. don't necessarily embrace it. Fully. I've Maybe totally even 90%. Experienced yeah. I've experienced that. But it's the it's other people that are embracing yeah. it as well, which is really wonderful to see. I think it's because there is no... I don't see what I call, what could be called Hinduism, although I don't call it Hinduism, as a very exclusive 
thing yeah. religion spiritual i don't even i don't even feel feel like it's much of a religion as much mm. as it is a way what they life. call a way of life or spirituality or what you feel and uh-huh. i think whether it's a Christ, uh, sorry a church um a gurudwara a mosque a temple whatever you go into or even just an inspiring space when you feel the divine or presence of the divine um that's what matters right so it's what you connect with. And I think people are connecting maybe with that Eastern yeah. way of chanting and and f- realizing that there is something in that that's elevating them. Yeah. And maybe yoga has been a route to direct them Definitely that way. Definitely has. Definitely has, yeah. Um, because it opens up those channels potentially, makes it seem less alien as it were. Um, it, it probably is that. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned this, that the detail of how you perform or what rituals you perform is less important now, whereas the principles are more prominent. I think previously in like the 80s or 90s, there was a bit of a fear around uh, Vedic culture, Hinduism, Indian culture, because it seemed a bit uh, idol worshipy and um, quite alien. And I think that that was because there was a focus on detail. Whereas now I think there's a voice and an opening for people to understand the principles behind what these rituals are, essentially. Yeah, but I also think going into um, cultural appropriation and appreciation, all of that, that's become such a big deal. Yeah. I think since the Black um, Lives Movement, mm. right? It's mm. become Black Lives Matter Matters mm. Movement. Mm. Um, it's become a bigger deal. And I think people are talking about it a lot on Instagram Um I don't agree with all of it. Mm. I think sometimes there has to be room for the the motive, the sort of bow behind something as opposed to pronouncing something really properly. Mm. Some people say, oh, you're not pronouncing, the, the white teacher isn't pronouncing Namaste the mantra properly. Yeah, n- mantra properly. She doesn't yeah. really understand the meaning. Mm. I just don't think it matters. She's not s- saying it in a bad way. Sure. And while I have learned all the mantras and have studied Sanskrit, I think the people sometimes who are condemning these teachers probably haven't even studied Sanskrit. They they understand how it's pronounced, maybe because they grew up pronouncing it. But these white white teachers, yeah. they they some of them understand it more than I they do. do yeah, yeah. Just because they don't pronounce each one properly, right. I don't think they need to be condemned for that. So I agree that there is such a thing as cultural appropriation, but I think that the line is being. I, I think people are misconstrued. Uh, it's sort of becoming a bit too, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, I <laughs> think there's... Maybe we need to cut this bit out, but yeah. Yeah, no, no, I, I don't think so. I think it's... I think that people are focusing way too much on the detail than the principle. Yeah. The detail can be shifted. Like, for example, I present mantra, kirtan, I pronounce it in different ways. Like right now I'm saying mantra, but when, when I'm in a session I'll say mantra. Because it's more pronounced, people can associate with that. I could be doing that in robes with a shaved head, without a beard, even yeah. though I love it, uh, with markings on my forehead, tilak on tilak on my forehead. I could do it like that. Or I could be uh, conscious that if I want people to experience joy and I want to open that up to as many people as possible, there have to be in some details that you have to exclude. There have to be some details which you can be willing to shift the line on so that it accesses more people to the practice. Also, there has to be no rules, as it were. Sure. 
not no rules, but you know, yeah, not not not. We're not talking about modest, like Im- immodest or disrespect. I think that's where cultural appropriation does come exactly. in. Exactly. We don't want to be rude, or sorry, not rude, disrespectful mm. to a culture yeah. that I completely agree with. But I don't think you need to understand every element of everything to be able to embrace it. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't it. be practicing myself. Well, I I mean, I went to a school from the age of four, which the only school in the UK that um, taught Sanskrit and all the teachers, all the Sanskrit teachers nearly that taught me were all English. And they understood, they they pronounced things amazingly, but they did do the ta rather than the ta, but I don't think that matters. Their pronunciation of the Sanskrit words was absolutely perfect. And it still is. I mean, the school is still there. Um... So do I look back on that and say, oh, they said Om Bur Bur Waha Swaha, yeah. which was actually wrong because I say Om Bur Bur Waha Swaha. Yeah. Like, but no, I don't do that because actually they did pronounce it well. It's right. just they, their sort of T, their enunciation of T is T rather than the. the. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. I mean, who really cares? Exactly. I think so. I think I'm of that opinion as well. I think we, have, we share similar opinions on that. Can I ask you? What do you struggle with when it comes to spirituality? What's the, do you have any struggles with spirituality? Do you have any inner, um, anything that causes friction when we talk about spirituality? Or is there anything that kind of turns you off from spiritual communities? I think it's obviously hard to define when spirituality sort of starts and religion ends because Mm. it's all to do, they're both very much interlinked. Mm -hmm. Um, And religion in some ways, in some spheres can seem what people would call cultish. Mm. Um, so that potentially could put people off. And But I have my own way of worshipping, praying, feeling, whatever I feel. And I feel I'm very, very open to experiencing that same or getting that same feeling in other ways, not just one way. Um, and I think the more open you become, mm. the more you realize that the world has a lot to offer. Um, but that said, my roots are Indian and I'm very Indian at heart. And I, I love going back to India. I go two, three times a year and I find everything I, I, I want in terms of inspiration there. Amazing. Yeah, I guess. But I do love walking into a church. I do love, you know, going to a church service. I do go to... Um, midnight mass yeah. almost every year on the 24th or wherever I am in the world I love it so I, I do feel that you can find that same sense of peace in different cultures in different ways yeah, yeah it's like the analogy that's given by Bhaktivedanta Swami he says that um, there may be many airlines going to a destination let's just call it Mumbai because we're talking about India um, there may be many different airlines, Virgin Atlantic, Air India, um, what other airlines, American Airlines, I don't know if they fly there, but there's, you get the point, many different airlines flying to one destination. Some may take a different route to others, flying in this cloud altitude, others in that altitude. Some may take a stopover, some may take two stopovers, some may be direct, etc. Uh, is the destination the same? Yes. So in one sense, we have to kind of realize that even if this person that I'm sitting across in a conversation about spirituality and a conversation about religion doesn't practice the same way I practice. But if you ask them about the goal and the goal is love God, love thy fellow neighbors, you know, like love each other, see the, see, see the similarities as opposed to the differences, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there is scope for appreciating each other. Like I think 
um, we live in a climate where there is definitely a lot of hate based on what you practice. Yeah. And I think that that does create um, you and I a different mentality. And I think that we focus so much on the differences in rituals that sometimes we forget that the principles in which we're searching for are almost identical. And I think that we can learn to live to appreciate each other more. And I think it's, it's a sticking point for many people to, uh, you know, the negativity surrounding divide. I think that that's something that we need to work on as, as, a, as a whole community, as a, as a world community. Because um, I know that, I don't know if you've heard about what's happening in Birmingham yeah, and Leicester. It's quite horrific. And I just wish that there was more voice on seeing, yeah, that we're, we're loving the same God, you know, that. Very sad. Yeah, it's very sad. It's almost like don't really understand the purpose of all that. I right. mean, it doesn't, I don't know where it's come from. Like, where, did, where does that sort of thing come from? Yeah, I think if you're asking me, I'd say it comes from uh, probably conditioning, that people have been conditioned to think a certain way. Like, you know, if we talk about holy war and jihad, then it's not a case of um, that they're, that that person perhaps is wrong. It's just a case of they've been conditioned to think this is the only way in which they will attain a higher state of liberation. Mm. So I don't blame them. It's just conditioning. They've been brought in a certain culture. I think the the nature of all people innately is to love. But I think that because of conditioning, of the way in which we are A, brought up, B, the people that we surround ourselves with in our adult lives, you know, teenage adult lives. Um, and I think the practices, the rituals which we have daily, I think those all culminate in our belief structure being built as I think this way and it's the only way. And when I hear someone say the only way, I kind of flinch a little bit because I'm like, oh, I wish you didn't say that because there's so many ways to the same goal, so many ways to Mumbai, you know? Mm, exactly. Yeah. Thanks, Mira. That's, you're letting me do my thing and share my spirituality with, with the world. I'm not just a question master here tonight. So It's just so a much. discussion, an open discussion. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. Um, you've done a lot in the short space of time since you've uh, started sharing about Ayurveda. I mean, I don't know how many years it's been exactly, but it feels like, you know, since I remember, since I first came across your first book, it's kind of exploded. Ayurveda is going everywhere. Yeah. Chai by Mira is everywhere that I look. The world's changing constantly. There's so many different things in the way that we speak. Social media is constantly changing in terms of social norms. And you've done a lot to kind of keep yourself relevant and accessible to people. Have you had to adapt the way in which you speak, the way in which you share? What what kind of tools and things have you had to uh, get used to using in order to share your gifts with others in a better way? Well, I think the main change has been Instagram. Yeah. Although Instagram came about when I started my journey. So I remember when I signed on, when, when I created my account, um, I was actually in a yoga retreat at the time and I hadn't heard about Instagram, but <laughs> I, I had just started my food journey then. So we're talking about eight years ago. Um, so Instagram obviously is the main way to share, but it, before I would say initially it was all about blog, blogging, you know, putting the post up and being like, you know, and check the link in the bio. Yeah. It's no longer that it's about creating everything just for Instagram. So people right. are just visually, you know, and now it's changed to videos. So yes, it used, I, I used to be photographs and now I take a lot more videos and getting good on camera has been a big thing. Yeah. So all those things, just the way you're transmitting, you're um, conveying your message. And for me, 
shifting, making that shift from being a chef or considered a chef and foodie to wellness expert because my second book is about Ayurveda. So I needed to somehow convince publishers that I was ready to, or, or they should buy into this, uh, not new version of me, but this change. Wow. Um, because essentially if someone's writing a cookbook, they'll write another cookbook. And yes, my second book does have recipes, but it's not a cookbook. Mm-hmm. So that was a shift for me. Um, but that was also very much going back to the reasons I started because actually while food is an essential component of health, it was a very much a holistic um, lifestyle for me that I was hoping in the future sort of to convey and make um, make my sort of career um, all-rounded, not just food. Mm. Has there been any challenge along the way? What's been your biggest challenge when it comes to sharing? Not keeping up, feeling like I'm not doing enough and putting enough out there. Wow. I think that troubles me sometimes. Oh, God, I haven't put a reel up or a post up in X number of days. Um, Because actually, you do need to be constant on that. Um, And what else? Not getting too tied up, not scrolling too much. I think now I do post and leave it, but I do go back and check. Um, oh, how many, you know, the comments and this and that. And I think that everyone gets caught up with, but it's about trying to make sure that you don't get too caught up with it because yeah. actually then you st- you you spend hours just doing that sort of thing and worrying. Yeah. Um, it's validating hearing you say that because I feel like that all the time. You know, just the, oh man, I need to get something up today. I haven't posted anything in a few days. Am I doing my audience, my community a, a disservice by not being out there enough? You know, it's it's always a challenge, I think, when you're trying to give uh, to a wider audience. And I think, yeah, we can we can let ourselves go from time to time. Like this, for example, this weekend just gone, I just didn't look at my phone at all. I just didn't post a damn thing. And I was completely happy and content doing that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely... It's nice like to hear from people when you when people say, oh, you're very authentic or sure. you come across as a very, I don't know, like you put out there what you practice and yeah. that sort of thing because I feel like it's hard to get that across sometimes. Yeah. Um, and you don't know whether you are getting that across um, because there's a lot of... There's a lot of people who... No, there's a lot on Instagram that's also just n- not for show, but... I get what you mean. Like you want to be showing that you are practicing yeah. what you're preaching in a way. I totally, totally. But also totally how do you through the reels and the posts and all that convey the n- many things that you kind of stand for? So like, you know, the food and the lifestyle and the tips. And so I find it's hard. It's a daily sort of, oh, I need to post. I need to do this. I need to do this. Mm. Um, but it's sort of what I do. Yeah. We, it's part of our service, I guess. We have to do something to... And balancing the many things that I want to do. You know, I feel like I get caught up in so many things, but I should focus on... Like, my mind tells me I should really focus on my business, which is the chai business. But then I want to also do this, and I'm writing a book, and I'm doing this. So it's like, you know, how do you how do you fill your day or compartmentalise your day and structure in a way where you're doing it all? Go easy on us, audience, you know? We're trying our best. We've got to squeeze it in into 15 seconds nowadays. You know? Yeah, I totally, totally get what you're saying. So thank you so much for sharing that. Okay, we're going to move into some quick-fire questions. Uh, one word, one sentence answers. Number one, you ready? Yep. Cool. What's something you're curious about right now? 
right now I am finishing the deadline of my first, sorry, my third book oh, wow. <laughs> on chai. Uh-huh. So I'm curious about chai. chai. And it's really interesting, really fascinating because I just, there's so much I didn't know about the history of chai. I'm looking forward to reading it. When's it coming out? Next September. Cool. And literally, um, I could tell you all about it right now, but you'll have to wait till the book comes out. Uh, okay, we'll get you in at that time in September next year. Um, what's the best advice you've received from a fellow Ayurvedic practitioner? Good question. I think I didn't understand the importance of having gaps between meals. And I got very caught up when the world, the media, media was telling us that we should have eat little but often. Mm. And Ayurveda... And actually, science now is proving that we should be having meals and having gaps between meals. And that's where intermittent fasting comes in. Mm. So it's really important to not over snack. And I think we live in a world where we're surrounded by snacks. And actually, we probably allow our kids to over snack or or feed them too many snacks. So you have to allow your hunger to develop a little bit before you have your next meal, because that helps to ignite the digestive fire, which in Ayurveda is called the Agni. And it's it's really important to make sure you're ready to receive the next meal. Great. And give your whole system a, di- a break. I'm going to do that today. Got to feel hungry before I eat. Oh. What's your favorite thing about your books? The first book, Saffron Soul, I love the photographs. I've got a photo in there of my grandparents. Oh. My grandfather passed away last year, so it's really memorable. I've got a photo of my mom my sister my nephews it's it's just the photographs are stunning mm. and my second book i would say the passages of creative writing but also i love the front cover mm, it's beautiful it's really nice can i ask you it's not on the sheet but i'm gonna ask it anyway <laughs> what's your least favorite thing about your book oh dear nothing i love <laughs> love love my books <laughs> all right cool question number four something you used to value but you don't value anymore It's a tricky one. Mm. Materialistically, there could be a lot of things. Um, I think probably the opinions of other people and judgments of other people. I Mm. wouldn't say I'm completely, you know, free from it now, but I think that consumes a lot of um, time, that consumes a lot of headspace when you're concerned so much about what people think. Yeah. Um, It could be anything from going to an event to how you look to how you come across in a video to it could be anything. And I think years and years ago that... It was about, you know, not being liked in friends groups. And now I feel quite free from it. Amazing. Judgment. And finally, last question. If you could create one law that everyone in the world had to follow, what would it be? I think it'd have to be two things. So kindness, love. I think Mm -hmm. that's really important because if we all were kinder people and live from a place of love and compassion, then... A lot of what we see in the world today wouldn't be happening. And secondly, no waste. Mm. Because I think there's a lot of wastage and there's just too many people out there that that don't have enough and there's too many people who are just wasting a lot. Yeah. So just waste less. Yeah. I'm going to try and implement that myself. Waste less. Today's, that's my mantra for today, Kaylee. Our sand engineer is nodding. That means eating all the biscuits I've brought you. (laughs) I will eat them. I promise I'll eat them. I'll even share them with the crew. They're they're looking hungry, so I'll definitely share them. Well, that ends our podcast today with Mira Manik, 
I'm really grateful that you took the time out. Thank you so much for really being here, for taking time out of the busy schedule and sharing with us so much on Ayurveda, rituals, on your spiritual thought, on how we can be of service to the world. It's really, really wonderful to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, today's episode, we were blessed to have Mira Manik here in the studio, and I hope that you valued the episode as much as I did. Um, I want to invite you to please leave a comment on what you felt struck you the most. I want to invite you to share this podcast with a friend, share it with someone that you feel would really value it. Uh, and as always, feel the permission to listen back to it. There's so many things that get said in the podcast, and I can totally appreciate sometimes you're listening on the go, um, that you may miss some of the nuggets that came out that really will perhaps influence you in a positive way. So please feel permission to listen back to it. Until the next one, see you soon. Namaste. Haribo.